The following shiur has been presented by Rabbi Yehoshua Sova, Rabbi of Kehillat Shari Ezra, Miami Beach, Florida. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Bezat Hashem, we will be discussing Parashat Vayichi, the idea of halachic guidelines of one going on kosher cruises and all the halachic implications that would be relevant to one who would go on such a forum. The Pasuk tells us in Parashat Vayichi, describing that of Shevet Zvulun, it says in Perek Memtet, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Zvulun, when he's referring to that of Shevet Zvulun, Nochof Yamim Yishkon, he will reside at the beaches of the oceans, it's clear that it's multiples, the Hulachof Aniot, and he will be beached with the other ships, the Arkato Al Sidon, and his side will be on that of Sidon. Sidon is referring to obviously the city that more, is more famously known in Lebanon as uh, Sidon Tyre. And some people say that they got that name from the biblical name, but the fact of the matter is it's referring to Zvulon being at the Chofiam, being at the location of right near the ocean. So we have a number of questions here on this Pasuk. Firstly, when it says, Zvulon what does that really mean? So the Torah Tmima brings from the Gemara Sachim that tells us, Yamin, that when a person, all they wanted to do was live near the ocean, they wanted to be near the sandy beaches, near the area where there's oceans, they did a bidika, they checked out this person's background, and they found that this, since this person was so zeroed in on only finding a place to live and find refuge or a place that they felt very comfortable was only on the ocean, they said the reason why was because they probably hailed from Shevet Zvulun, and therefore as a result of that, that's why they were so fixated with that. And they saw that that was true in this case. And the Torah Tamimah brings down a very fascinating discussion where he says, the reason why it says Lechof Yamim is because really many of the Shvatim had property that was beachfront, it was off the ocean as well. And why was it Zvulun was specifically singled out? Because there are many other Shvatim that were also at the shores of the Mediterranean as well. And he wants to say is that based on the Bereshit Rabbah, that it means that Zvulun actually had a chelek, not just on the Mediterranean, but in, it seems like in multiple areas where there were other seas. It seems to be that there were other places where there were locations, not just in the Mediterranean, but there were other places as well, that Shevet Zvulun actually had some type of piece of karkap, some piece of land that somehow connected them to that. And therefore, they had multiple seas. They literally were encompassed by seas. They were people that just loved the ocean and was something that spoke to them. Additionally, the Torah Tamimah brings down from the Yerushalmi and Sukkah He Aleph that brings that Yonah Navi, Yonah Mitai, that he came, his mother came from Shevet Asher, and the proof he says, it says Yarkato Al Sidon. To say that Yarkato, you read it, it means Yarkato, that his Yerach is Yatsamimena, that from her thigh, meaning the birthing process, she was able to push out. This woman is Mitzidon Haeta. She became, came from the city of Tzidon, meaning Tzidon was actually in Shevet Asher. And this city, the reason why we're mentioning it, is referring to Yonah Navi, the Yonah Navi, whose father hailed from that of Shevet Zvulun, but his mother came from Shevet Asher. So he is Yarkato Al Tzidon, 
he is from this hip or from this thigh, came, this man came from Tzidon, came from Asher, and we're mentioning Yonah Hanavi at this juncture. A number of questions could be asked. First of all, why is it that we're mentioning that this Lachof Yamim, Zulun has multiple waters? Why, why is that multiple seas? Why is that very relevant when we're talking about this idea of Zulun? And how is this even relative, relevant to that of Yonah Hanavi? And secondly, this idea of him coming from a blended family, if you will, from two different Shvatim, that's very nice. We don't find by many of the other Nevi'im that when we're told of a background, like Rashi and Gemara and Sukkah in the third parak brings down, excuse me, the end of the second parak, he brings down that there, uh, every single Shevet had a Shofet that came from them, except for four. We're not sure of Shevet Asher, Shevet Shimon, Shevet Gad, and Shevet Reuven. And uh, those are the four that we are not sure about. We can conjecture and say there are four or five Shoftim that they don't tell us, the Navi doesn't tell us which Shevet they came from. Most possibly they came from any of those four. There's five that we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are four that were not represented clearly in the Pesukim. And uh, from here we see that Zvulun is singled out from being that of Yonah and Navi. So why do, is it relevant for us to know that his mother came from Asher? Why is this something that's very relevant? So we were thinking of the following. There's a fascinating discussion. We all know that, that Zvulun was the supporter of that of Yisachar. And like it says, And I heard Rabbi Shmuel Arbach Zatzal, I heard him personally say this. He said, why is it that we laud that of Zvulun before that of Yisachar? If we know that Torah study is that of prime importance, if anything, we should say Yisachar Ba'alecha Smach Zvulun B'Tetecha. That Yisachar Ba'alecha, he is learning Torah, and he's doing the Ikara Avodah, which Torah learning is not easy at all. People have this false idea that learning is uh, easy. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And the best way you know that is, I challenge anyone to sit for 45 minutes to an hour straight at least, no cell phones, no outside contact, just with you and your chavruta, just learning. First of all, the time will pass, but you'll see it's very difficult. Try going through a sugya, going through a rishonim, achronim, and trying to delve into the Yama Talmud. You'll see it's not easy at all. It's very difficult work. The Torah weakens a person because you're actually delving into Torah Tashem, something which is Nitzchi, and the body which is Gufi, it can't handle something which is completely irrelevant to it. So why does it say Yisachar Ba'alecha after Smach Zvulun B'Tzedecha? It should be that Yisachar Ba'alecha should be first. So Rav Shmuel Arbach said a beautiful idea that he said that we have to know that Zvulun going out to work is not easy for him for two reasons. First of all, he has to endure not being able to learn Torah, which obviously a person, every Jew wants to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and learn Torah and have this in Torah We want to have that. We have this connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the Torah, Rachmana. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Torah is called the same name, Rachmana, in the Gemara. So why is it that he's going out? So the answer is he's not only going out for his own Parnassah, he's also going out for his brother, and it may be, there might be some time that Svulun may say to himself, you know what, why am I doing this? My brother and his tribe, they can't, they can't get a job. They can't do what's expected of them to support their family. No, he goes happily. So not only is he sacrificing his own Torah learning, but he's also going on behalf of someone else. That's almost unheard of. So for such a person that is so selfless, that he's literally giving up his own Torah, and he's doing it for another person, 
that we say that he's on a higher madrega for a person to do that to be willing to forgo their own Torah not only for themselves but for their own brother for someone else that's so selfless and that has such self-sacrifice and such beauty to it that we say first to such a person you should know that we laud you because it's very difficult for you to do what you're doing and therefore we give you credit for that and Shmuel Arbach wanted to say that this was you're speaking directly to a very big supporter of Torah and he said to him that people think that it's easier for you to just give money, Hashem gave you a bracha, to give money to all these different organizations. But I understand from my limited understanding from this pasuk that it's not easy. And we therefore want to say thank you for all the times that you've pulled through and given to all these organizations. We really understand from our limited understanding what that is. And for that we say thank you. And you could see that the person was very touched by that. And we have to say obviously to all the people who are supporters of Torah. So the question is then, if Zvulun is the supporter of Torah, and he's going out on the ocean and encountering dangerous situations, doing what it is that he's doing, why is he doing that? What is the purpose of that? And why do we have to even mention that Yonah Navi comes from that? So it's basically two questions. Why is it that Zvulun does this? And parenthetically, we're going to say, why does it say Yamin? It has to be multiple, multiple oceans. And Thirdly, why do we have to say it's a tiruf? It's a combination that he came from Shevet, Yisa, Shevet Zvulun and of Shevet Asher as well. So in order to answer these questions, we want to say a novel idea, a chidush, that Sefer Yonah is always traditionally read when? Mincha time an Yom Kippur. And we know Elio Anavi was answered at the Shat Mincha, like the Gemara and Brachot tells us. Aneni Hashem Aneni, when did he say that Hashem answered me? It was Dafka in the time of Mincha. It's one of the most difficult times for a person to get their Kavanah together and be able to focus properly. So we say the following. Yonah Navi, who represented not just somebody that came from one Shevet, he was a multifaceted individual. He came from a blended family, if you will. He came from not just Shevet Zvulun, but Shevet Asher as well. And even in this pasuk that says Yakato Sidon is hinting and alluding to that of Yonah Navi. Why is it relevant over here? We're talking about Shevet Zulun. To say no, Yonah Navi, who represented the ideal of Shevet Zulun, which is somebody who takes not only into account his own Shevet, but also his mother's Shevet as well, meaning he's thinking of others. That is the lesson we want to give on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the time that Chas Shalom, a person, may be very selfish. Why? You're asking Hashem to give a personal kapara for what you did, the sins that you may have done throughout the year, through your lifetime. You're asking it should be a cleansing time for me. And I should have that me, my family, my community, all the Klaisel, everyone should have a fantastic year. But it has to start from within me. The problem is, is that you're walking on a tightrope then. It comes out that you may have very selfish aspirations. I need to succeed in order for me to change, and therefore I need to, is going to be a focus of me. Therefore, we tell you, no, Sefer Yonah Navi tells me, you have to be a blended individual. Realize you come from multiples. You come from a blended community, not just something from within your own immediate surrounding. It's much larger than that. And that's what we say specifically on Yonah Navi, and Zman Mincha, we read this specifically in the Sefer, to say that you come not just from yourself, but there's also a whole totality of a community as well. And that's what we want to say when it comes to Shat Mincha and Yom Kippur time. Don't think that you're getting a kapara just for you. It's for the entire Kali Yisrael as well, that this kapara is going to make you a changed person to affect everyone as well. 
You're not just a malach. You're a malach, but you're human as well. And your hum- humanity is going to change the face of the world. So that's the first idea. It's a tziruf. And that's why we believe, in the beginning of the Pesach, it says, Zvulon lechof yamnim. He came from multiple oceans. What do you mean multiple oceans? You're on the Mediterranean basin. That's enough. The answer is no. He's trying to signify. You come from a, a multi-layer of different oceans. Like the Gemara tells us that a dog that's caught in Aspania tastes different than a dog caught in somewhere else. If you catch a fish in one location, it tastes totally different. You ask people who are connoisseurs, they will tell you that a fish caught in a certain region tastes completely different than the same species of fish caught in another location. Why? Because that's what Hashem does. Yamin, like the Pasuk in, 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 in Bereshit tells us, Yamin is called Hashem Rabim to tell you that even though technically all water is interconnected, but actually it has a flavor of the local region that's a little different than somewhere else. So that's the same thing too. Everyone is different. Everyone has a flavor to them. Everyone has something to contribute. That fabric of society, HaKadosh Baruch Hu put us, and we have to remember that even though you're a Malach, An Yom Kippur, just never forget, there's a community, there's Yamin. They're just like Yonah Navi understood that he came from a blend, a person should think as that as well too. And we were thinking, based on this, it fits in beautifully with the Gemara that tells us that when it talks about learning 101 times is not in a domet to somebody who learns 100 times. When you do 101, you break that mold and you go further than what you ever imagined. And the Gemara, very unusually, when it's talking about something about Limura Torah, breaks off of that and goes, instead of talking about Limura Torah, says, I'll give you on my shell. For example, if a person rents a donkey to go 10, 10 parasaot uh, or something, and it goes 11. It is a totally new zip code, and therefore it has a totally new rate. What do you mean? It's just one more. Just add on to that. And the answer is no. Once you break the 10, you're past another level. So therefore also, it's not even compared to someone who learns is perko. He learns that, that what he's learning a hundred times. So the question is, we're talking about Limura Torah. What does that have to do with business? The answer is, this idea of 101 represents that if you're a businessman, you're going to break through that mold. And when you break through that mold, ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to break through for you as well. Because really, Torah is a business. So ready for this. The Sefer... Paneach Raza brings down that the name Zvulun is the same gematria as Chilazon. The Chilazon was famous off the shores of that of Zvulun, and that's where they became very wealthy. The Gemara tells us they became wealthy of the Chilazon and this Chuchit, which was Levana, the white glass that they were able to make because it was very hard to make pure white glass. They were able to manufacture that, but the Chilazon was the primary one that they were manufacturing, and they were able to get off their coast. Chilazon is the gematria of, guess what? 101. Zvulun is also 101. Telling you that this idea of Torah, Limura Torah, is in the name Zvulun of 101. Just like Chilazon, it makes the tzitzit, which makes you compare, every second that a person wears tzitzit with the Chilazon, the Mekayim, the Mitzvah, Kidura, and a person is getting closer to HaKadosh Baruch they're remembering about Kisei HaKavod, Ultimately, a person remembers that even though it's a beged and a beged is that a gashmi, and through this you're connecting to ruchani with through colors and concepts which are beyond what you could actually see. A person is able to transcend that. That's a hundred and one. That's exactly what the Gemara is telling us. You want real Torah, you have to approach it like a business. 
where are your skills? Where are your, where's the profit? Where's the loss? How can I be more leaner and meaner? What is it that I could do to make myself accentuated better and positive? And that's the idea as well. Zvulun represents 101. And we're thinking that's the idea as well of why Zvulun is represented by this idea of the Chof Yamim, that he's specifically at the ocean and why we're talking about Yom Kippur as well. Be that as it may, we're going to now explore some of the discussions that could happen on a kosher cruise. Obviously, this is not an extensive list. There's obviously a person should ask a rabbinic authority about what they should be aware of and what things are uh, possibly issues. But we're going to bring up a few ideas that a person should be very wary of in terms of knowing what they're getting themselves into because knowledge is obviously something that a person should do and know before they get involved in something so that way they know what to ask if it becomes nogea, becomes relevant for them. The first thing is kashrut. And I'm very indebted to the Star K for making a very clear, delineated halachic guidelines for some of the issues that are present for when one goes on kosher cruises. People have to be aware that many of these mega ships that are now coming out have thousands upon thousands. It's literally a moving hotel, a moving city in some cases. And you're talking about thousands of people being catered to at around the clock in multiple locations. This is besides the fact that they dock off at various places and there's shipments all the time happening in and out. And a person has to realize that kashrut has to be of the utmost highest standard. And if you don't have a mashkiach or someone who's a someone who takes their job very seriously, shalom, a person could be nikshal and very, very bad things. So for example, a person needs to ask, is there a dedicated kitchen for kosher food? Is there a non-kosher ch- kitchen right next to the area? How much of a percentage are the passengers eating kosher food? Is it going to be a kitchen where you have the dishes that are being prepared between one another? Is there a makeshift barrier between the two? That a chef could be preparing calamari, which is squid or octopus, and uh, they're uh, right on the other side is someone preparing kosher meat. And they're exchanging boards or they're exchanging knives. Then you argue and say, well, it's cold. But the fact of the matter is there's there's some type of fat that may be associated with that. You have to be careful about that. Are they cooking with hot items that may go from one area to another? Meat and fish, how is it stored? Is Could things get mixed up? Could people legitimately make an honest mistake and mix up a kosher product with that which is not a kosher product? A person has to realize that it has to be very highly monitored because if you have waiters running back and forth and someone is not viewing their job as being of utmost importance, you could have people that are eating uh, things that may be in violation of kashrut as well. People have to be aware that this is also the not just the kosher kitchen that they have, but uh, you, let's say, have the steam that, let's say, the rises up or does that transfer from one another uh, is it is it recycled that it goes from the bo- boiler in out into the other food, and uh, that can be a, a, a question of tam that we say that the flavor gets transferred or not. That could be a, a same same thing as well. Another thing also is that the ships when they dock in the morning, sometimes very early in the morning, uh, they will often leave and go on another cruise in the afternoon. And even if there's a kashrut agency that's going to be there, the turnaround time for them to do. Uh, the the kashring of the pots and pans may not be enough time for it to be more than ben yomot. This is not just the question of Shabbat, which we're going to deal with in a second, but we're going to see that uh, some people, they may have prepackaged kosher meals, uh, you know, airline food, they call that. 
which are uh, pre-programmed uh, foods that are, let's say, double-wrapped. And uh, even if it's double-wrapped, if they heat it on Shabbat, that would be a problem. Just defrosting them is not going to make them edible because these are heated, these are frozen so solid that even if you were to leave it for multiple hours, uh, it would not be viable for it to be eaten. Uh, some people, what they think that they could do is they could heat it on Friday, store it on ice or in a refrigerator, and then open it. Um, some people say that that's not good enough. You have to be aware of that. Is that going to be good enough or not? You have to speak to someone who is aware of some of the guidelines of how to properly heat food. Also, that could be an issue of bacteria. So there's a lot of questions that people have to ask to say, how is it they prepare the food? What's going to be? How are they going to have all their kelim, etc.? Uh, some of the other questions that we have is, let's say, f- sealed foods that have re- reliable certifications, such as cereal, peanut butter, jelly, non-chalavi milk, butter, ice cream, fr- fresh uncut fruit and vegetables. Those, obviously, a person, if they want to, they could eat, provided that in the case of chalavi milk, it's in a locality that you could trust what they're doing, and the government will have some oversight on that. Some people think that cooking eggs, even in their shells, whether it's hard, medium, or soft-boiled, is okay, that's a mistake, because there's now a question of Bishul Akum, because even if you argue and say, some people will say, well, technically, uh, there are Chazanim, or people that they eat it raw, that's not really so Matsui, but uh, some people have to be aware of that, that that's a serious issue. Also, some cruise lines offer what's called kosher-style meals, and they say that they have uh, they have kosher chicken, or meat, or other foods. Kosher-style does not mean kosher, they're just doing that for liability, that they don't get sued. So that's in terms of kashrut, where we hinted to a little bit with that of Shabbat as well. Also, a person needs to be aware of a second issue, which is tzniyot, that a lack of modesty can be very widespread when people are going to, let's say, very sunny destinations, and there's an island vibe, an island feel, and people feel that Kadesh Baruch Hu is not there. He's there, definitely. And you have to be very careful. Shmirat Enayim. And if you're going with family members, how much more so you have to be vigilant about what it is that they're seeing and what they're being a part of. Separate swimming hours would be also required. Women would have to have a discreet secluded pool if they want to swim. Again, these are things that a person has to have to know what it is that they're looking for, what are they trying to achieve. A lot of people tell me when they go on these cruises, they're trying to achieve family time and reunite with their family. And that's very nice and it's beautiful. Like we see, Zvulun is the Chof Yamin, that he wants to go uh, out onto the ocean. But you have to remember that Akadosh Baruch Hu is there just as well. Like we saw in the story of Yonah Navi. You have to remember, Borei Olam is there also. And uh, like uh, Titus Arasha said, Akadosh Baruch Hu is 100% in the water. So even he acknowledged that when he was talking about Akadosh Baruch Hu punished only with the Mabul and Paro. And he says, your, your Koch is only in the water. So you see that if you're on the water, even more so a person should be very careful about having Yerat Shemayim. Uh, when a person, let's say, wants to pray, uh, there has to be oversight that there's going to be a Sefer Torah because there will usually be at least one day, a Monday, Thursday, Shabbat, that the Torah has to be read. That, so a person needs to have a Sefer Torah. It's a machloket if reading of the Sefer Torah is chovata tibur, meaning it's the tibur has to have it. You have ten men over the age of bar mitzvah, then they now have to have a sefer Torah. But if a person is going on a private cruise with, on their own, some people say they don't have to hear the sefer Torah because it's only chovat tibur. Some people argue say chovat yachid. It's a person's own private obligation. They need to hear a sefer Torah at least once every three days. So 
a person has to ask what will be required of them or not. If a person is going to bring a Sefer Torah, it should be in an honorable, secure place that it's going to be in. People have a question on Friday night when they want to say Magen Avot. Even if you have a, sh- a shul room, quote-unquote, a place that's the Bet Knesset, that they normally function as a shul whenever they have it. There's these cruise lines that they have kosher tours that also attach themselves down there. Uh, you view that as like a temporary minyan in one's home, and you would not say Magen Avot. Uh, however, some people say that, no, if there is a specific room dedicated for the duration of the cruise, and you have a Sefer Torah in there, then you would say Magen Avot. So if you have the two, that it's dedicated with a Sefer Torah, so they would actually not agree with that first premise that we said, that one does not say Magen Avot in a dedicated room, because the assumption is, it's only for that of Shabbat, there is no Sefer Torah, they happen to have a Minyan, and people were, uh, happen to be together, so they said, let's pray together. But there was no foresight if there is foresight, it sounds like a person will be able to say Magen Avot if it's a dedicated room with a Sefer Torah. Uh, some people say that after the ocean cruise is concluded, one would say Berchat Gomel. This is usually said when a person goes to Bet Knesset after their cruise is over and they receive an Aliyah. It's usually within three days upon disembarking when they get back that they make this Berecha. Now when it comes to the laws of Shabbat, a person has to know, first of all, the Gemara tells us you have to do it within three days because otherwise that's going to be a a zilzul of Shabbat, it's somehow disgracing that of Shabbat, and uh, we're scared that a person may may either get seasick, not be able to enjoy uh, Shabbat on the ocean, and this allows a person time to adjust to the motion of the sea. Now, once Chazal told us this, uh, we say that, uh, yeah, you'll say, well, cruise ships, they don't really toss and turn. I do know that uh, with my in-laws, for example, they went on a tour, and uh, they encountered very rough seas, and it was so bad, in fact, that they had a Steinway piano inside the, uh, the ballroom that got somehow got loose from its moorings, and it literally smashed into thousands of pieces. So you're talking about serious waves. Everyone got sick from seasick from that. So it does happen once in a while. You have to realize that just because it's a cruise ship and it's gigantic, it cannot stand the test of some giant waves, and it gets thrown around. It is a ship on the ocean. And a person has to realize that, that can mess with their equilibrium. We say that not only is this law of Shabbat applicable, but also to Yom Tov as well. So for example, if Yom Tov fell out on a Wednesday, then it would be that on three days prior to that, one would not be able to go on to that. But before that, within the fourth day, they would be able to do that. The Vilna Gon, however, has a chidush that he says that you could include the actual day. So for example... Shabbat is day number one, Friday is day number two, and Thursday is day number three. So meaning Wednesday is not included in the Gezerah. So if a person wants to, they could be Samech on the Vilnagon, that if they go on a Wednesday t- uh, cruise through the weekend, that would be fine. According to all opinions, if, a pers- if the ship docks before Shabbat and remains in port during that Shabbat, everyone would agree that one could go on any weekday, because the fact is, it landed... And it's there before Shabbat, so it's, there's nothing really wrong. You're now moored to the land, and therefore, since you're stuck on land, this would not apply. People have to be aware that electronic cabin door locks and electric automatic door that has an electric eye to open and close the doors. Uh, you should make sure to leave your keys, if they're usually electronic, you should leave it at the front desk and ask the non-Jewish staff to open your door because of your Sabbath. And when walking about the ship, it's preferable, obviously, to use manual doors. If not, wait until a non-Jew walks through the door and you walk right next to them. 
sometimes it's very difficult for some to coordinate their movements with another person. So you should just be cautious not to unwittingly activate the door. Rabbi Belsky's, that's how one time was asked the she'ela, somebody who was, let's say, in a bathroom and uh, they have an electric eye. He says, you obviously don't have to stand there for the duration of Shabbat because that's not, uh, it's you never would want uh, something to go on or off to, to, for you. you just, you're fine with the, all the refuse staying in there, you don't really want it to get flushed away. You couldn't care less about that. So therefore, the fact that it's dealing with Shabbat, we say that a person would not have to worry about that by walking away. Now, when it comes to Tchum, we say that approximately 2,000 amot, which is seven-tenths of a mile on Shabbat, a person is not allowed to leave there. When a person is out at sea, since they're in a boat, and the boat is more than 10 tefachim tall, it's like they're basically in another reshut. And therefore, if a person is on board a ship that happens to be sailing at sunset on, on Erev Shabbat on Friday, and it docks on Shabbat, the 2,000 amot begin at the port, which means that technically you could disembark from the ship. The problem is that most people don't know the seven-tenths of a mile rule, and they usually get a little carried away. You have to know, how far can you go? Uh, sometimes you also have to get back on. The only way you can get back on is if you have your passport or if you have some proof of that you were on the boat because remember, there are thousands of people there as well and they don't want people who will be stowaways. So it would not be wise for a kosher cruise to dock on Shabbat itself because there's a potential for a person to shalom go past the tchum also. Uh, also, metal detectors that uh, they use for when the passengers board onto the ship, a person has to be very careful about that. Usually, most cruise cards are are uh, are, are electric or they're metal or they have some type of uh, band that is going to set off the alarm. And also, you have to carry, which if there's no eruv, you have to be very careful about that. If you're going to certain cities, they don't have eruv. Also, international dateline. If a person goes past that. So, for example, a person is going westward from the United States to China. They're going to cross the dateline. So the question would be is, oh, it may come out that what the locals may call Friday or Sunday is actually in where you are is Shabbat. So, again, it not only affects Shabbat, but also Yom Tov, Ta'anit, Tfilah, Tfilin, Sfirat Omer, Nida. There's a whole bunch of things that a person would have to be uh, very, uh, very knowledgeable in. There's a bunch of fantastic Sfarim, Tarikh Yisrael from Yisrael Taplin, and also the Dateline and Lachab from Mosaic Press, that they also deal about all the various questions that come out when people go on these cruises, so they need to be aware of that. Since usually candles are not permitted on board when they have a cruise ship, one should use an electric incandescent nightlight or an incandescent flashlight, and they make the bracha. Uh, one should not schedule a trip on Hanukkah because that, some people say, actually needs a ner. Uh, although technically Shabbat could be accepted early, when we say, which is Plaga Mencha, which is usually one and a quarter hours before Shabbat, uh, before Shkia, that's you, what's called Sha'ot Zmaniot, that's only halachic hours, which depends on the length of the day. Uh, when on land, you could find out by basing the calculation on latitude and longitude, but a person is, excuse me, out at sea, that's a little bit differently. Uh, some people will have a GPS device or an app to, let's say, calculate the davening uh, times. That would also be useful while on board. If a person, let's say, needs to make an erochatserot, they say that a person may, might have to do that in order to permit themselves to carry on Shabbat. However, there's a big machloket in the poskim where you have a non-Jewish hotel. Do you need to make an erochatserot or not? Moshe Feinstein was of the opinion you don't. 
because since it's quote-unquote rov nachrim, it's mostly non-Jewish, therefore you don't have to worry about that. However, other poskim argue on Moshe Feinstein, and they say that uh, the Dvar Avram says that, no, you have to be machmir about that, the fact that the Jews, they have their actual quote-unquote little community that would necessitate, that would need to have Eruv Chatzirot for themselves. Obviously, if a person forgot to do it, they could be somech uh, on the opinion of Moshe Feinstein if they needed to in such a case. There was, uh, we'll just conclude with this, there was a number of years ago, there was a kosher cruise that took place in Antarctica. A number of people made a siyum there and uh, in the winter of 2018, and uh, the sun rose and set, and uh, people were very curious as to where that exactly was, what, that, what was the halachic ramifications of that. Uh, they actually had to have a very late ending for Shabbat, and uh, they timed it in the winter time, so that way they wouldn't have to worry. But unfortunately, it was ill time because it was Asara B'Tevet, and it was literally a 24-hour fast day. I heard of people that, uh, and they encountered, these people encountered uh, very rough seas, and many people had to break their fast because it was so difficult. And they drank, or they had to do something, or they had to take medication to achieve their equilibrium and their balance. And Kriyat uh, at night was recited right before Chatzot, and that was the darkest time of night in the location that they were. And it's obviously a question that a person needs to be very well acquainted with when it comes to that, because standards of halacha and yirat is international. That's no matter where you go, you always have to keep HaKadosh Baruch Hu wherever it is that you go. And remember that whatever you're doing, you're bringing up the world with you, even if you're on vacation. A person has to remember, just like on vacation, you still breathe, on vacation also, you take HaKadosh Baruch Hu with you. So, we discussed the idea of Kashrut, what the elements of Kashrut are, what a person should be aware of. We discussed the idea of Tzniut. We discussed the idea of praying, and that of Shabbat, all the issues, uh, some of the issues that may come up during that time, crossing the international dateline, candle lighting, Kabbalat Shabbat, Eruv Chatzerot. We discussed what could be if a person goes to Antarctica. And again, you see that this idea of Zvulun Nechof Yamim, that person that goes traveling and uh, ocean liners that go traveling with boats, they are confronted also with halachic questions. And just like Zvulun was so selfless that he was thinking of other people, we say the same thing too. The people that are willing to sacrifice for others, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them a bracha, just like we find Zvulun 101, Chilazon 101, Hashem should bless all of us that going out and to the workforce or whatever it is that we're doing, if we're not just doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for our family, we're doing it for our community, we're doing it for the Kal Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch should bless all our endeavors that should only be met with Bracha This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakha consultation, monetary Bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at theshc.org to subscribe.